This the remix. Started off with Tyler Bischoff from ESPN Radio. They eat, sleep, and breathe basketball, and diving for loose balls is, is really important to them. I'm not a candidate for Indiana or any job, and you could come to me with the greatest job on earth and I would not consider it. I came home to coach and end my career at a small Catholic school. I'm not going anywhere. I'm, if I go anywhere, it's going to be retirement, and uh, I'm not looking forward to retiring anytime soon, but I'm looking forward to building a special program at Iona. We're in the infancy stages of recruiting there. We've got to get players that you see on the floor at Alabama, although I'm very fond of the players I have, but we've got to get that type of length and that type of uh, talent. The Las Vegas Journal Review. I think it's one of his best moves ever. Look at the fake, pulling it through, curl and drag. Darlene doesn't know what just hit him. I called it the jock strap. You just crushed my dreams. Boom. Sadness. That's the one. All right, side note, before we get into UNLV, I love Rick Pitino saying his own players were terrible in that uh, yeah. press conference by saying, we got to get guys that are in Alabama, and then quickly trying to correct himself, saying, but I, I love the guys on my roster. <laughs> and it was almost like I'm supposed to like say how good is the, the good the team is we're getting, but I'm also going to throw in that our guys aren't as good as them. Anyway. <laughs> that was great. My team sucks, and we yeah. need to get much better. I'm, I'm in the infancy of recruiting, meaning I need much better players. All right, so UNLV uh, looks like TJ Otzelberger is going to leave for Iowa State at some point this week. Um, on Rick Pitino. He said, as you heard right there, he's saying he doesn't have much interest leaving Iona for anywhere because Indiana's now open. There are some bigger jobs that are open that Rick Pitino could uh, try to get into. But he's out here saying that he's not interested in even leaving Iona. Do you, do you believe him when he says that? I kind of do. Again, you know, he, he waited so long to get back in. He, you know, he went over to Greece and, he, you know, he coached the pro team there. He's 68. Um, he he has gone back to New York where he's from. I, I sort of do. I mean, not completely because if a Power 5 job came, he's so competitive. He's such a great coach. He could win anywhere he went. So, But I kind of do. Like, you know, If he's in mid-50s, no, I don't. Because then he'd say, hey, i got 20 years left. This is not where I'm going to end it. But I don't know how much time he has left. So I sort of do. Um, we talked about before the show um, because everyone, again, anytime UNLV's open – and I, I've kind of been on that bandwagon. I think he'd be a great fit here. He'd be a great fit most places because he wins right away. But something happened yesterday where I know his buyout at Iona's $10 million and golf clap for Iona getting that kind of buyout. It's funny because Iona probably put that buyout in thinking what you and I are thinking, would he leave? It's like, okay, if you're going to leave, that's fine, but you're going to pay us a lot of money. But what happened yesterday in New Mexico with Richard Pitino getting that job, I think that ended it for UNLV. And I don't think UNLV would be interested anyway. I don't think she'd hire him. She didn't the last time, but he is not coming into the same league as his kid recruiting against him and playing him twice a year. So the UNLV thing, they have to move on from, people have to move on from that. He's not coming to UNLV for a lot of reasons. I believe there is a 0% chance Desiree Reed francois would hire Rick Pitino. Yeah. Um, even, even if Rick Pitino wanted to come here, we yeah. have seen Desiree Reed francois she doesn't hire uh, retread head coaches, um, and I don't believe Desiree Francois would have any interest in the baggage of Rick Pitino's past, even though Pitino doesn't carry any NCAA violations against him. He's coaching at Iona. They're in the NCAA tournament right now. I don't believe that is the type of guy that Desiree Francois would have any interest in hiring. 
So well, with he, Desiree, won, he wanted it the last time, and he never got close to it. Yeah. So I don't. I I don't think there's any chance that Rick Pitino no. will be hired at UNLV unless Desiree Francois is not the AD. But as long as she's the AD here. I don't think there's any chance no. that that actually happens. I'm curious. Something you said when we talked about um, Otzelberger leaving in the seven o'clock hour. How much is Desiree Francois trying to keep TJ Otzelberger? Like, is she actively trying to prevent him from going to Iowa State? I, you know, I think she's. I think she's honest in those things in terms of trying to keep him. Look, I mean, say what you want about you know uh, him going to Iowa State and his family and the money. It's not a good look for an AD, even though I think we'd all agree he should walk there to take that job. This is more turnover. And it's just not a good look for ADs if the resume, especially in the two main sports. Look, she's done really well hiring Olympic sport coaches. No question. We've seen what volleyball's done in other sports, soccer. But if everyone's true, looking in the mirror, there's only two sports that matter. So it's all that matters. No one, you know, I'm sure the players and parents of those other sports care. Nobody on, you know, the, the, in terms of the public, 99% care about those sports. They only care about football and basketball. So you fired one football coach, you hired another, and you fired a basketball coach, and now the guy you hired might leave in two years. So yeah, I think she'd like continuity and stability and hope that her hire would come back as for a third year next year and win and get them to the NCAA tournament, and that hire would look good. So I bet she's trying to keep them. But she might also realize right away this just isn't happening because of the whole ties to Iowa State and the money. But my guess is she made a good faith offer to try to keep them. My so here when you say good faith offer, I, I, yeah, she, again, are are we talking about like hey we will give you a raise to stay here? Well, I mean that's what else would he want? I mean he's got in right. my opinion. I, I don't know what you think. I mean you know he what else would he really be in for for that you know. For that job, I mean, the facilities are fine. the The league is fine. He, you know, if you're any good at all, you can compete for that league. I don't know how much they charter, but I think they charter pretty much everywhere. So when it comes to what's important to a college basketball coach, I would think money's number one. I mean, I, I yeah. So I would think she'd have to come up with more money. That would probably be the first pitch of her deal because I don't know what else you could offer him, right? I mean, what else would he want that would be? Oh yeah, if you give me that now, I'm staying. So in a normal situation, a school like UNLV loses its head coach to a power conference, right? Let's take Eric right. Musselman and, and Nevada leaving there for Arkansas, right? In a normal situation, you lose your head coach to a power conference because your head coach has had success at your school. And if Nevada had been able to, they could have easily justified giving Eric Musselman a big race. He had taken them to three straight NCAA tournaments. They went to the Sweet 16 one year. They're the best team in the conference for two straight seasons. That would be easily justifiable. I would love to see the fan base of UNLV react to TJ Otzelberger staying. He's been given a raise to $1.8, $1.9 million a year. Because I don't know how, if you're Desiree Francois, you sell that to the fan base. I don't have any idea how you could sell giving a raise to Otzelberger to the fan base without everybody thinking yeah. it's a terrible decision. It's a tough sell, uh, given what they've done the two years. Yeah, you're right. I mean, Musselman, uh, San Diego State would be smart to offer Dutcher a ton of money if Minnesota's a real option. Um, there are certain guys who have wanted high levels where it makes sense. And you even at state schools where there's not a lot of money, you can talk your fan base into those kind of things. Like, look. He does nothing but one here, win here. He's not even the highest paid coach in the league, which is laughable on its face. You have to give him more money. But in this sense, 
yeah, that's a tough sell if, if they would have to come out and say that. Now, I know they've gotten donations to that program and department where they would have the money if they sh chose to to give him that much, you know, more near two million than where he is now. But you're exactly right. That would be a tough sell for people when, you know, he's 29 and 30 and 20 and 16 in the Mountain West and they haven't done anything. So I don't know what she countered with or what she is countering with if it's still going on. But I have to think money is the main deal. Like, I'll go back to it and I'll ask you, what else would he want? Like, to stay. I don't think he's staying if he gets the, the offer. I don't think I don't think he's staying. But other than money, I don't know what else he doesn't have already to compete in that league, right? Why They should compete in that league for what he's what he already has. Right. And I, I don't either. I don't like because that and that's why I sort of asked you the question to start yeah, off I with. Mean, is she trying to keep him? Because I don't know what you offer him because normally it's money. But I don't like I again, I can't imagine a, a single person, not even people who want Otzelberger to stay that think Otzelberger is the answer. Would a single person be happy with, well, we gave him a raise to stay when like he hasn't done anything of significance here yeah. and hell. You're looking at getting three plus million dollars in a buyout yeah. if he leaves. Like I, I can't think of a single good argument or a single person that would think, yeah, you, you should definitely give Otzelberger a raise to stick around because, like, like we started the show with that poll I put out, fifty nine percent of UNLV fans say they're happy to see Otzelberger go. Yeah. So, I again, if if Otzelberger had won a lot, if they had NCAA tournament appearances, then you're no doubt you're you're trying to offer him more money. You're trying, you're to, trying to get him sure. right, and you're doing that with money. But the the weird situation that UNLV continues to find itself in, where they're losing coaches without actually having success under their coaches, it's it's unbelievable. Like, can can you believe that right now? That we're looking at UNLV twice in what five years. They're going to lose a coach to a Big 12 job without that coach having done anything for them? I know. It's it's astonishing that, you know, usually, like you said, you go to Pac-12. Two things happen with UNLV coaches. You're no good and you're fired in four or five years or you go to a better job. Not many go to better jobs, but the, the people who have, like you said, it's not because of what a normal reason is. Hey, you're winning a bunch of conference championships and this is you, you made our program better and we understand the landscape of college athletics. So good luck to you and go and but in Osselberger's case that wouldn't be the case I think she's I think she tried let's just say it is over and he's gone I do think she tried something to at least say she put something out there but I think she also went into knowing that she wasn't going to do it for for the personal side of things for Osselberger for the money I just don't think she thought it was happening so what she might have offered to come back I have no idea, but you're exactly right. If it got, and we'd have, we'd know, obviously it's a public institution in terms of open records, we'd get the contract. And if we turned around and reported 1.8 or 1.9, sure. There'd be most people, if not all other than his family would say, what are you doing? What, you know, you could have spent that and gotten the 3 million if he left and, you know, really gone and hired someone you believe could get him to the tournament. Right. And, but, I, and I'll say this on all of it. Desiree and Francois hired Otzelberger two years ago. If she believes that Otzelberger is the guy, if she still believes that, she should absolutely be trying to keep him. And she should absolutely be offering him more money to stay. Like, if she believes that he's still the guy, the problem is, is you have to turn around to a fan base and explain to them why you just gave the guy that's under 500 a raise when you could have let him walk and gotten a buyout back in mm -hmm. return. But again... If she believes he's the guy, what you and I say and what the fan base says yeah, doesn't, matter. doesn't 
doesn't matter at all. You keep that guy if you th- if you think he's going to get you in the NCAA tournament soon. You keep him. I just think she would be the only one in that situation that would believe that yeah. because you and I don't believe it's happening next year. The fan base doesn't believe it's right. happening next year. So it'd be an incredibly, incredibly tough thing to sell. I mean, I, I'm kind of waiting, and it's usually on Twitter now that you, that you want to look and see when and if this thing's done. And when and if this thing's done, it'll 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 open up a lot of things, and they can just go forward, and we'll see what she does. I think you and I both agree it's going to happen fast if, in fact, he leaves. And, and right, that'll com- be good for everyone involved. Coming up next, Sam and Ash join the show. Call Sam at Ash at 702-820-1234 or visit their website, samandashlaw.com. Sam and Ash, because you deserve what's right. You heard the gentleman. Sam and Ash Law on Twitter, samandashlaw.com, 702-820-1234. They join us every Wednesday. How are you guys doing? I think we're doing great over here. We're great. Sure. Even Rocky's okay. He's He's over here. Kind of, okay? he, he can hear your voice, Ed. He can hear your okay. voice, so. He's, got, He's on high got alert. That helmet on. He's got that helmet on. <laughs> uh, well, we're going to start off today with a really uh, non-cheery story uh, that is very bizarre and uh, uh, very creepy at the same time. Headline review journal, man accused of live streaming sexual assault of unconscious woman. Uh, long story short, we've gone over this, but uh, Vegas police accused a 45-year-old man of live streaming himself as he assaulted an unconscious homeless woman. Apparently, uh, he met her uh, in downtown, brought her back to his Summerlin house, uh, gave her a spiked drink, and then she doesn't remember anything else. You guys have taken us through this in off the air, but I want to take you through for the people listening. He was booked on two counts of sexual assault court hearings in March 24th. Take us through this case. The, the, the charges seem like it makes sense, but does, is anything potentially added on to this? Or when you first read the story, what jumped out at you? I can tell you the first thing that jumped out at me was the fact that this guy was quickly identified by the officer who watched the stream. I mean, that, that signals that these officers <laughs> have a, a running history of who this gentleman is. Um, right. And so that's not good. No. No, that uh, it, it almost appears like, what have you been doing? Why did it take you this long to uh, to, to get this guy? Um, Sam, the, the two the two uh, uh, counts of sexual assault. What's like the next step? I mean, he, he'll be arraigned. I'm sure there. I don't know how car, how his attorneys or whoever they appoint him would approach that. But right. Is that kind of what would be the, the, the final charges or is the live streaming? You said someone in Canada was talking about this. Are there any potential things that he gets based off putting on a video? I uh, it could could be could be some enhancements, but the the most important thing here is that he it there's a video record of the crime. So this guy, what's going to happen to him is he's he's going to get he's going to he's he's going his lawyer will look for a plea deal here because right. there is no way that you get a not guilty on this. Um, uh, you know, there's usually the only way to to fight. You know, charges like this is to create um, reasonable doubt or to get any kind of uh, really important evidence thrown out. This guy put the evidence himself out there into public public view, so there's no issues with any warrants, defective warrants, or you know, police overreach or anything like that. This 
this guy is is beside being a you know a, a, an allegedly a rapist he's also a right. really stupid criminal and um and so there the the lawyer the first thing that any defense attorney that gets this case was public defender or the you know the best defense attorney in town most expensive defense attorney is going to say we got to figure out how to get a deal because this case is going straight for a guilty verdict if it ever goes to court uh, i'm going to ask you guys an impossible question but uh why do people videotape themselves committing crimes? <laughs> you know, I, I was thinking of it. I think it's got to be there's a thrill to it, I think, that it makes it like ups the ante on getting away with it. Um, I I remember this like Netflix documentary on Don't, Don't F With Cats. And it was all about this guy <laughs> who, who live streamed um, extreme cruelty to cats. And the online internet community rallied and went into this investigative like hall and they all banded together to figure out who this kid was and they did um and it turned into a crazy thing and a murder conviction and so i think it was just a thrill of trying to get away with it on a on a different scale it's like exhibitionism right though like it's it's a form of 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 modern day technology you know technology being used to to i mean I, I, obviously I, that's all i'm going to say about it <laughs> now leave it there <laughs> He's uh, not speaking from personal experience. Yeah, I was going to say. I was going to say. Sam, I, everyone needs to know Sam is very red right now. He feels like. Uh, I, it's uncomfortable. I, I love also this part of the story where this, this, this dude, the, the defendant, the perp, um, allegedly met this, the victim uh, down off of Fremont Street downtown, right. and he offered her to shower at his place. And she agreed. Um, yeah. So, so that's that's the that was the pickup line. That's the start of a Vegas love story. <laughs> that he that he had hot water at the house. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. This is it's really it's really sad. So, look, um, I one thing that that is is super is that a lot of people obviously reported it right away and brought it to the attention because the, the, initially the victim didn't come forward and the reports came from the public. And right. and um, and it and somehow they were able to figure out that this was happening in Las Vegas and pinpoint the location and and when it got into the you know when it got in the hands of detectives they go yeah we know that guy <laughs> hey, hey, yeah uh, uh, I want to another story because this popped up yesterday and a lot of people immediately went to the defense of Deshaun Watson the well he's the Texans quarterback right now we don't know how that's going to work out because he wants out of Houston. Um, I want to ask you about the the attorney side of these things. Uh, Tony Busby, who's a former Houston mayoral candidate, took to Instagram that he had filed a lawsuit against the three-time pro bowler against uh, alleging numerous instances of misconduct towards women. The, the posting is very long. He gets very personal about it, that he was a Marine. His dad was a butcher. There was a lot of stuff in this post where I don't really know what it had to do with Deshaun Watson or what he's filing a suit on. But just the idea an attorney would go to Instagram to kind of announce that he's going after this famous quarterback. Is that uh, unique in the tense? Do you see attorneys do that? Like, were you, su were you surprised that he would do it this way in terms of announcing he's brought lawsuit against Deshaun Watson? Uh, well, I'm not surprised that the lawyer made it all about himself, yeah. um, okay. which is really what the, the post is. Um, yeah. So it's very self-promotional. 
Uh, I think what this lawyer thinks is he's got a famous he's got a, he's got a, a famous defendant, right? And he's going to capitalize off of it and create buzz for himself. And look, we're we we fell into the trap here. We are talking about it, but we're not going to name this lawyer. And he oh, oh by the way, he puts and he puts his website in and everything, right? So yeah, yeah. so um, but I I you know it's it's actually dangerous to do this it's um you know once you if especially if you once you file a lawsuit you you know the courts kind of can look as a little with some suspicion on on this you know publicizing a lot of details about the case but there's a you know you have to as a lawyer you have to advocate for your clients sometimes you use the media uh to to do that and to gain leverage in your in your case and and i'll say this because um we've all forgotten michael avenatti you can take the you can take the 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 concept of bad p of of threatening bad PR to the level where it becomes um, more than just legal strategy and it be, you know becomes blackmail and that's what right. happened to Avenatti with the Nike case if you remember he he just he threatened them that he was gonna you know bring doom and destruction to their stock price and he's gonna release all this terrible information and um, they were already talking to the FBI and the, as he walked out of the meeting right. got arrested so you, th this is there's a there's just a fine line and it's not always super defined and what we what happens with media like social media like Instagram and Twitter you, you know it's it's easy to get carried away right. Mm -hmm. And um, and I th I think you know from time to time lawyers do get in trouble by going too far. Well, Deshaun Watson basically said exactly what you just said. There is that he rejected a six-figure settlement demand from this lawyer before this lawsuit was filed. Yeah, and and he said it was baseless. And so I mean, what the interesting thing that Sam pointed out is the the lawyer's post was all about him and nothing about the claims. And right. if you're a lawyer and you're in it for the right reasons, you're talking about the case. You're not talking about you or your family and your upbringing and why you're in this or your military history. This isn't, it's not about you. It's not about like when Sam and I are handling these cases, the story is, has nothing to do with me or Sam um, or our team or our law firm. This has to do with the plaintiff, the victim, and getting them justice and and if and and that's just the biggest problem and so i believe that the six-figure settlement demand um was in fact baseless because this this lawyer has given you no basis to believe anything you've got this your client has to come first and here it's not true it's not that's not what's happening all right we got a we got a fun story about a pitcher named mike bolsinger who was has been trying to sue the houston astros because he claims they ruined his baseball career <laughs> um he was trying to sue them in california now this is despite the fact that when he played the astros it happened in texas he was playing for a team from canada and mike bolsinger now lives in texas uh, a judge in california hasn't officially done it yet but it sounds like he is going to dismiss this case and basically tell him there's no reason to try this in California, go to Texas. Um, what's what's the logic here? Can you just try a case in any state you want, regardless of where it happened? No, you, you can't. You have to try. <laughs> yeah, I, it'd be nice. Uh, I would like to go to Maine and spend some time there. So, um, no, you can't. You, you only can sue based on either where the defendant resides or where the actions took place. Here, the defendant, the Houston Astros, they reside in Texas. Um, and the actions that are really that all of this focuses on is a game that um, Bolsinger played while in Texas. And so the, the judge is trying to figure out, like, I, sure, I get you were here at one point and you don't think you're going to get a fair jury in uh, Houston, but um, 
I don't see why here. Why L.A.? This is, I mean, <laughs> yeah. other than the fact that you at one point wore a Dodgers jersey and Dodgers <laughs> yeah. and L.A. fans are probably a little P.O.'d. He's been to Disneyland. Yeah. No, but I mean, <laughs> L.A. hates the Astros for what they did to them. And right. so, I mean, yeah, this is this is forum shopping at its finest. Um, you want to do that. You. Yeah, I, no, go ahead. Sorry, I'm getting excited about this yeah no and so i mean as a as a plaintiff you always want to find the best jury for your case and this guy really tried but he tried too hard and the judge knows it and everyone knows it and so they're kicking him out it's not even bolsinger though his lawyer is mark garagos or a lawyer in garagos's firm and mark garagos if you know is a la lawyer he's based in la he's got friends in la courts this is a convenient forum for mark garagos and that's the story here so again you got another lawyer where it's more important for him for the lawyer than it is for his client and i i get that right i get that 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 la is a favorable forum for the facts of this case right la a great jury for them ashley's 100 percent right would be a bunch of dodgers fans right but um but I don't, you know, but I think, uh, but I also think this is a matter of where the lawyer is, is wanting to have it in his, in his home, in his home court. And, um, and it becomes trickier to, you know, you got to, you, if, if you. Well, yeah. I mean, if, if Garagos isn't licensed in Texas, he needs to file this in Texas. He's going to have to bring in a Texas lawyer to share the profits with, you know, he's going to have to split his fee and he doesn't want to do it. So Sam's right. There's two things going on here. They're trying to get a favorable jury and trying to make it about him the pl- the plaintiff's lawyer why didn't i stay in california long enough to be on this jury oh <laughs> I, Bolsinger I would, would love you <laughs> yeah i would have begged to be the foreman i would have bribed people to be the foreman and that thing would have been over and uh sam in the end of the day i hope you and ash take this and uh, just argue the heck out of how much the astros cheated even if Bolsinger doesn't win I, I need that on the record of how much you believe they cheated yeah um, Bolsinger needs to upgrade his lawyer today yes. Exactly. And as a transition on the press box, if he does update, he should call 702-820-1234. Follow Salmonash Law on Twitter or go to right now, SalmonashLaw.com, because you deserve what's right. Best in the business. We thank you guys. We know you have another spot. We'll talk to you next week. All right. Talk to you. See you. Take care, guys. guys. Salmonash. Oh, I want them arguing on behalf of the Dodgers. Boy, I'd love to be on that jury. I was I was a few, on a few juries in California, but never one that that enticing. Ed oh. sitting here looking at. So your career ERA is uh, five fifty four, <laughs> but yes, this one game against the Yep that definitely ruined your career. Astros guilty. The best would be the prosecution on the jury uh, on the jury questions. Have you ever liked the Dodgers? Right, straight face. No, I have not. No, I have not. <laughs> What, I what, don't know what you're what, talking what about. What are the Dodgers? Are they some yes, sort what of are the sports ball team? <laughs> exactly. Uh, uh, sir, isn't your profession to be a sports writer and radio host? <laughs> yes, but I mostly get paid to cover uh, women's <laughs> basketball. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Never oh, heard man. of this baseball that this Mike Bolsinger oh. apparently plays. <laughs> All right, coming up next, it's Bischoff's Briefs. The Golden Knights are back in action tonight. We'll look into how much Mark andre Fleury is playing and if it is too much. The rules of Scrabble are simple. First, each player pretends to mix the tiles while trying to feel for the letter A. Bischoff's briefs. The game does not officially begin until one player reminds all the others that the first word scores double. That player is known as the Scrabble Jackass and is then handed the box top for any further rule clarifications. Bischoff's 
Bischoff's brief. Players then take turns laying down words until someone does a bad job hiding the fact that they drew a blank. Bischoff's briefs. Upon seeing the blank draw, each player must make a bad joke about the tiles in their possession. Bischoff's briefs. Play continues until each turn takes longer than open heart surgery, and the game ends when one person uses the last of their letters. Even though at this point no one likes that person, they're still referred to as the winner. Bischoff's briefs. And that's how you scrabble. The Golden Knights play again tonight, and Bischoff's Briefs is taking a look at Mark andre Fleury's playing time because he has played in 20 of the 26 games for the Golden Knights this year. And since Robin Leonard went down, Fleury has started all but one game. He was pulled in one other game as Logan Thompson got like the last 10 minutes of a game. Big day arrest for Fleury when he got 10 minutes off. But if you look at uh, this entire season, Marc-Andre Fleury is only 11th uh, among all goaltenders in minutes played. He has faced the 14th most shots and the 15th most high danger chances. So he's not top five in minutes. He's not facing top five amount of shots. Really, if you look at it, Marc-Andre Fleury has played um, slightly above average what you'd expect a starting goaltender to have played so far this season. But the problem is looking at what Marc-Andre Fleury has done since Robin Leonard went down. Robin Leonard last played on February 7th. Since then, Marc-Andre Fleury has played 949 minutes of hockey. That is 134 minutes more than any other goalie in that time span. That is two entire games more than any other goalie since February 7th. Because since February 7th, they've only given Flurry one game off. And that is the potential problem here. Because the way the Golden Knights are using Flurry is they're basically running him into the ground. Right? They're playing him so much that he's not going to be able to continue to play at a high level for the entire season if you play him that much. And what's crazy about that is when you play a goaltender that much, like they have with Flurry, you're basically telling everyone that you think you have to win every game, that every game comes off as a must-win, that every game you're treating as though it's a playoff-type importance of a game, when it isn't, especially now, and especially against the bottom of this division, because Flurry has been incredible, but the Golden Knights, they've got like an 11-point lead over fifth place in the West, right? They're not missing the playoffs at this point. Hell, they've got a nice lead over Minnesota for second. They can throw like two games away, and they'll still be in first place. They have breathing room. This is the team of any team in the West. This is the team that can afford to play a backup goalie. They can afford to play Oscar Dansk or Logan Thompson because they can afford to lose. And to be honest, this team, skater-wise, is still really good. Like, Fleury's been the best player, but it's not like Marc-Andre Fleury is carrying some terrible team. They can play Oscar Dansk or Logan Thompson and still win games. They're not doomed to a loss just because Oscar Dansk or Logan Thompson is in net. So I give all this to you to say, okay, Flurry has played 20 of 26 games this year. He's played all but one since Robin Leonard last played. Would the Golden Knights be in a worse spot if they had given Flurry four or five more games off since Leonard had been out? If Oscar Dansk or Logan Thompson had played four or five more games, right? 
the Golden Knights still probably win two or three of those games. They're not losing all five of those with Oscar Dansk and Logan Thompson in. They'll probably lose some of them, but if they had gone 2-2-1 two, two, and one in games without Marc-Andre Fleury, they're still going to be right there in first place in the West. They're still doing just fine in the West. So to me, the idea of how much Fleury has played, it's kind of ridiculous when you look at the position the Golden Knights are in. Now, all that being said, Robin Leonard's off long-term IR. So it looks like Robin Leonard's coming back fairly soon. I don't know if he's playing tonight, but Robin Leonard should be back fairly soon. And I would expect that as soon as Robin Leonard's back, they go back to the rotation and Fleury and Leonard play every other night and rest will be uh, an easy thing to find for the Golden Knights goaltenders. Yeah, I mean, when he was asked earlier this week, uh, we talked about this yesterday with, with Adam Candy. When he was asked, uh, it was either late last week or early this week, about the plane of Marc-Andre Fleury, the answer back was, well, you know, it's only a third of the way through the season. It's not like it's game 45 or 6. He's fine. He likes to be active. And yet I still, and Adam Candy made this point yesterday, there, there's no chance he's keeping up this level. And, and I mean, history would tell you that. He's not going to be this good the entire of the season. So, Shouldn't that come into play in your thinking um, in terms of, yeah, we, he wants to remain active and, you know, he, he hasn't faced as many shots as anyone, but uh, this league stinks beyond three or four teams. Just let's play others just to make absolutely sure, just be absolutely safe. So when he said that in terms of, hey, he hasn't played that many games, or we haven't played that many games, I still thought, yeah, but if you're thinking down the line and if you're thinking that this would be the majority, your starter majority in the playoffs, I just don't get why they don't give him nights off. I, I don't like the the reasoning that we're only through 20-something or whatever amount of games because I think they should be thinking long-term. And right now, I think we both agree. I mean, look, right now he's the goalie in the playoffs until Leonard comes back and actually plays well. So if you know that, I don't know why he, they don't rest him more. Yeah, and that's that's the key here is giving him rest. Now, Yeah. if Leonard's back soon, which we assume he are, is because he's off long-term IR, um, if Leonard's back soon, the Golden Knights will have, what do they have, 20, 30 games left in the season. Yeah. So 30. very easily, Marc-Andre Fleury can start 14 or 15 of the games remaining, and Robin Leonard starts the rest of them, and Marc-Andre Fleury will have had plenty of rest between now and the start of the playoffs, and none of this will ultimately matter, we assume. Um, what I'm curious to see, though, how does Pete DeBoer evaluate his goalies for the playoffs? Because let's just say, with, with roughly 30 games left, they both play 15 more games. Like, clearly, if it was right now, it's Marc-Andre Fleury. Yeah. But what happens if over the last 15 games, Robin Leonard looks pretty good? Like, what are the chances that Leonard can actually unseat Marc-Andre Fleury? Oh, boy. If that happens, and I don't know if it was you and I talking about it or whatever in terms of how I mean, this guy's been really good this year. And even if he falls back a little, he'll still probably be a Vesna finalist, if not win the award. He's been that good to where, yeah, he's going to fall back. I don't know if he's going to fall back, like, you know, greatly, where he's like, oh, boy, he's bad now. So, boy, we we talked about this the other day, I think. Like, what would that do to your room? Like, they they love this guy even more so now. He was loved even when he's bad the last two years. But you're, these post-game com you know, comments, we want to make a movie about him. They believe in this guy so much. That would be a fascinating storyline if just DeBoer, and he'd have to make the decision, he's the coach, what the reaction would be behind closed doors if he did not go with Flurry after the way he's played. I mean, right. you'd kind of like to see it just to see it. 
and you know, see how much power GM, GM, and 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 DeBoer really want to pull here on a guy they gave a five year deal to. So yeah, I'm kind of with you on that. I I'd like to see it just to see what they would do. Because if the if look if Leonard comes back and is plays as poorly as he did in spots before he got hurt, then there's no decision. You're playing flurry. It does, and and I don't think Leonard would have much of an argument. But if he plays well, Tyler, that would be fascinating to see which way they went on that. Right, because I I am curious what is Pete DeBoer going to use as his like decision maker? Because right. ultimately, how well Flurry has played through these first twenty games is going to be irrelevant for who starts in the playoffs because it's going yeah. to be more about how you're playing to end the season. Now, listen, there's reason to think Flurry is going to drop off because his level of play has been so high that it's almost like sure. ridiculous, but. There's no reason to think Flurry's suddenly going to become terrible. Last year. So, yeah. Right. So I'm I'm fascinated if, if, let's say again, they both start 15 games in the season. What if in just those last 15 games, Robin Leonard's save percentage is 919 and Flurry's is 917 and Leonard's goal saved above average is a little bit higher than Flurry's? Like, what if you look and say, well, they're pretty close, but Leonard's been a little bit better over the last 15 games. Would uh, that be enough for Pete DeBoer to say, yes, we appreciate what Flurry did in the first 20 games, but the first 20 games don't matter anymore? Or right. would you look at it and say, well, if we can get Flurry to play like he did in the first 20 games, we're winning the Stanley Cup easily? Well, ba- again, based on what we've seen in the past last year, uh, McPhee's comments that McPhee said what on a podcast a week or so ago, hey, when he's healthy, I'd like to see the rotation back. They're giving this guy every every opportunity to be the guy. I mean, we knew that when they gave him a five-year contract, he was going to be the guy, and obviously no one predicted he would get hurt. But I would not be shocked if what happens, what you said, he comes back, he plays really well, uh, that they go with him based on a lot of stuff we've seen. I, I'd love to see what the reaction would be, but that, that would not shock me. Obviously, he has believers in the most important people in the organization. The, G, the GM obviously believes in him, and we saw last year the coach really believes in him. So he's got an advantage there. And I think the only way that this doesn't happen is he comes back, he's average, and Flurry doesn't fall back that much. And then, like you said, then you have to ride Flurry. I mean, then it would just be they'd get they'd get roasted if for whatever reason they went the other way and they like lost in the first round to and which we think the first round is gonna be a tough round anyway because of the four teams being good. So I I think I think they go flurry, but you and I both want that. You know it's a fascinating decision. And all right, let's see. Okay. I got something for you in the break. All right. We're still All right. Coming up next, it's the dessert menu. I don't know what's happening in the dessert menu, but William Hill is the perfect time. It is the perfect time to get signed up for William Hill because the tournament is here and you can get a free 50 bucks with bet 50, get 50. Just remember the promo code get 50. When you sign up for a new mobile sports account, you'll get $50 into your account. That's right. A free 50 bucks from William Hill just for signing up. For more details, visit williamhill.us. Let's end the show with something sweet. This is the Dessert Menu, brought to you by Silver State Schools Credit Union, prioritizing people over profit. Happy St. Patrick's the Dessert Menu. What are you doing? Happy St. Patrick's Day, boys. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> this has been the Dessert Menu, brought to you by Silver State Schools Credit Union. Become a member today at SilverStateCU.com. You are you know, <laughs> you're both was, the worst. Was that the Dessert Menu? <laughs> yes, St. Patrick's Day. It's a great day. Oh, my God. <laughs>
<laughs> you know that there are no sta- snakes. There were never any snakes in Ireland. No, right? I know that. I know, I know. But let's not ruin a good narrative, Jared. The, that's uh, been around right. for a lot yeah, of years. That's fine. Beware. <laughs> well, just all like, just gonna say, beware the weekend uh, Irish. Yeah. What uh, What am I missing about snakes? How did you think he became a saint? To become a saint, you must have. How did have Saint perfect. Patrick become a snake? Oh, uh, a saint. you said saint. Yeah, well, no. no. He, how did he become a saint? Yeah, well, I don't even. Saint Patrick is a real person. <laughs> yes, the saint. Oh, good lord. Ah, oh, good lord. All right. The dog's even mad at you right now. <laughs> the dog in the background's like he didn't know about the snakes. Uh, I have anyway, no idea what we're talking about. It's, okay. a, it's a great day. I'm, so, I'm wearing the green shirt. Maybe a shamrock shake later. You never know. The, the most Irish thing <laughs> in the entire world. Yes. Hey, is a shamrock shake. shake. Yeah. Hey, I, I've, got a, I've got a bone to pick with the people who do the shamrock shakes. I don't know if you guys have ever been in this situation. All right, I'm it excited. Appears a, it appears a certain establishment that makes the shamrock shakes. Have you guys ever gone to that establishment after 8 p.m. at night and ever ask for an ice cream uh, 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 thing, ever? No, what? Okay, so for whatever reason, <laughs> after 8 p.m. at night, it appears like they take down all ice cream like items, and that's just infuriating because when the Shamrock Shakes are out, the other night, the son wanted something. I said, yeah, I'll stop by and I'll get you one. And I tried to order one. They said, you know, we don't have any anymore. And it's like after 8 o'clock, so I'll just put that out there. Uh, you know, there is a website uh, called McBroken.com that tracks oh. whether or not the ice cream machines are up and running at each See? McDonald's. I knew it. I knew they tried. I thought they always closed down early because it's a tough machine to clean. So they wanted to get that out of the way before the before the it's night shift was done. I mean, you, you got to get all the ice cream from the day and you got to clean that whole thing out. And I thought that's why when I mean, we don't go there a lot. But the times we've been there after eight o'clock at night, it's like I'd like a Sunday. No, nope, can't do that. I'm like, oh, it must be eight o'clock. Um, so just so you know, at the moment, um, across the country, 8.9% of all ice cream machines are down at McDonald's. Um, hey, hey, in, at in, the establishment. In New <laughs> yes, York. establishment. In New York, it's up to 27.1% <laughs> right now. Um, I can tell you. I can tell you in Vegas that the location located at 7851 West Charleston is down. Um, but it looks like most of the other ones are, are okay. up and running. All right, all right. So when Doug does his next traffic and he goes, there are no current accidents to report, I need him to go. <laughs> but the ice cream machine <laughs> on West Charleston is down. Is <laughs> down. Yeah, I can tell you. So so also <laughs> North Decatur Boulevard, their ice cream machine is down. Uh, Lake Mead Boulevard is down as well. <laughs> Wow. Um, See, I told, and I—that's the Lake Mead one. Um, I'm just going to leave it at that. I, I, I just—it's just very strange that there comes a time at night, and for whatever reason, magically these things all go down. And I'm telling you, it's because someone's in there cleaning it. Uh, there's one it. downtown on Main Street that's down. Uh, there's one on the Strip. Oh, one on the Strip has been down for oh. 21 minutes. Um, oh. So yeah, do they really you track can... this stuff? Oh yeah, McBroken.com. You can uh, you can wow. look it up. The one the one by my house is working. It's working fine. Gonna go get some ice wow. cream at 10 a.m. in the morning have now. You guys, sh- shamrock shake for yourself, Mike. Have you guys <laughs> looked at the Orange High Sea tracker on McDonald's from uh, the establishment? Because uh, no, um, they track which ones have Orange High Sea. Yes, and I can't find anyone here in Vegas, and I'm very upset about it. 
I want to feel like uh, I'm seven again. Uh, Jared, had, no, I have no information for you on that. They had an orange drink. Tyler probably saw this. They had an orange drink at the Mountain West uh, tournament. Yeah? Did you have one of those? Oh, Haritos. Yes. Yeah. The official drink of Lights FC is now the official drink of the Mountain West tournament. Only the best. See you tomorrow. <laughs>